Welcome to the Teacher Entrepreneur Podcast, where you'll hear from teachers who are successful entrepreneurs and learn tips and techniques to help you escape the classroom. Now here's your host, teacher, author, and entrepreneur, Christine Draper. Today, we welcome onto the show Bob Gentle. Bob has now been an expert in digital marketing for 20 years. He teaches both business owners how to market their business and also runs a marketing agency. I'm sure that you, like the rest of us, will fall in love with his gentle Scottish accent. Welcome to the show, Bob. You are so kind. Thank you very much, Christine. I'm really looking forward to this. Bob, teachers tend to be very good at creating content as they create material for their lessons every day. These days, they're good with technology and digital content. However, that content is not going to build a business or be useful unless others can find it. Like every subject, marketing is full of jargon that can be a little intimidating for some at first. To begin with, can you please explain what SEO is and why we should be concerned with it? Search engine optimization, SEO, is the practice of trying to make sure that your website can appear when people are conducting um, related searches. So the, the process is quite important if you're a business owner because I guess the easiest way to describe it is if you can imagine somebody's doing a Google search, you really want to make sure that if, how would it, I'll maybe turn that around a little bit. So let's say you have a little product for teaching language skills and somebody searches tools for teaching language skills at home. If you appear for that search result and that's what you do for money, that's fantastic. You'll sell all day long. If you don't appear for that search, you're then depending on lots of other factors for your business. And we know that just about every sale begins with a Google search of some kind. Um, whenever people think, oh, I need a pair of shoes or a car, or uh, a, I'm looking at my computer, a stand to put my laptop on, almost every time the next action is going to be Google search. If you appear in that Google search, you're going to win. If you don't appear, you're not going to win. You're going to depend, depend, you're going to depend on a social media review or um, some miracle happening in YouTube. It's just not going to happen. So the process for search engine, opti- search engine optimization is such a mouthful. It typically splits into three parts. There's content. Google wants to see that your website's got lots of content and that it's relevant to what it is you want to rank for. There's lots of complicated ways of trying to make sure that that content stands the best chance possible. But essentially, you're going to need content that talks about that thing. Then the second part of search engine optimization is link building. So links from other relevant websites coming into your website and ideally links that come from a place that has some authority. So if you're selling, again, I'll use the the, um, example of language teaching aids. If you're selling language teaching aids, then if you're getting inbound links from websites that talk about those things and they're, I guess, official government bodies or they're accredited language institutions or well-known e-commerce stores that deal with those products or big blogs, those ranks are going to carry more weight than the knitting circle website around the corner because Google knows what 
how people are using those websites. So inbound links are quite important. And then the third factor is what's called on-site factors. That's how well is your website built? How well is it structured? Um, how mobile friendly is it? Um, how is the the uh, security on the website? Do you have what's called an SSL certificate? A lot of these things matter as well. So for, and, and I think with the third one, the on-site SEO, that's where a lot of business owners really struggle because it's hard for the layperson to know, is your website well put together or is it a shambles? You or I probably wouldn't know, but a search engine marketing specialist would, and that's great if you want to spend money, but you can also use some free website SEO scanning tools. And you simply type into Google SEO scanning tool and type in your website address. They'll scan your website and you'll get a little audit. And quite often you can see, yeah, I understand this audit. I'll take some action based on this. For a little bit of money, they'll usually give give you some layperson's advice on exactly how to do them. But essentially, that's the very long answer to the question is what is SEO? It's the process of trying to make sure you're in the window when people go shopping. And I think it's really important because the data on how many clicks it's given for the top search link on Google, so even the second, third, and fourth, is quite stunning. And by the time you get the second page, it's dropped to a tiny fraction of what it is for those first few links. And by the third page, there's almost nobody going to your website. So it does make a huge difference. It also makes a difference on other platforms too. So you get SEO of other sites such as Amazon, and YouTube and coming up on those if that's where your business is can also be really important yeah I mean I know from experience there have been there, there was a period of my business where website design was the largest part of my business I don't do that anymore but for a period of a few years I was number one in Google for my geographic area and what that meant was the phone rang every single day literally every day as soon as we dropped down to position four or five the phone rang maybe once a week. It's such a stark change. So certainly anybody looking to build an online business, Google rankings are great, It's but I think for a lot of people, they should really treat them as a bonus. There's lots of other ways to build audience um, and, and, and take your shop to other people, I guess. Well, that's what we're going to look at now. Teaching these days is very data-driven. It is therefore very easy when starting a business to get fixated on the numbers. What are vanity metrics and what numbers should we be looking at? Well, I'm going to be moderately controversial here and suggest that the numbers you should be looking at are related to how much you contribute to the internet. And by that, I'm really focusing on content. How much content are you producing? So I would set yourself some key performance indicators around how much content am I producing on the one hand and don't produce ridiculous amounts. And I think we'll come to talk about quantity later on, but every piece of content that you do create, consider it as the beginning of the process and not the end. So from a blog post, for example, or from a piece of video content, how many supplementary pieces of content can you create? Mm. Um, and a good challenge to maybe set yourself is if we take the Teachers are typically pretty confident in front of groups of people. So I'm going to say any teacher would probably be able to make themselves quite confident on camera fairly quickly. A lot of people really struggle with that when they've no experience in public speaking. 
but teachers don't have that issue. So they might be inherently quite anxious about being on camera, but they have a built-in advantage that they can probably get confident on camera quite quickly. Assuming that's the case, you can put a piece of content out on YouTube. That's your first use of that piece of content. You can then take a piece of that content and you can use it as an Instagram post. You can then do a very quick Instagram video about that piece of content on YouTube for your story. You can then transcribe it, turn it into a blog post. You've then got that blog post, you can read it as a podcast. You've got the blog post, so you can chop that up into probably a couple of dozen, that's maybe over overestimating, maybe a dozen social media posts talking about that initial video from different angles. And you can send it to your email list as an email. Here's a new article this week. So in terms of what I was, I would be measuring or what I would be judging myself against, it's my ability to be prolific with that one piece of content, um, but also efficient. How efficient can I be with it? And that, those are the two things I'd probably focus on. Now, that's not the answer you were necessarily looking for. So to take the more traditional perspective, it's going to really depend on where you are in your business. Now, you've said starting out. So I'm going to say somebody that has no um, business, so to speak, yet. As an industry, across digital marketing, we know that the clearest precursor we can give you to a thriving business is the growth of an email marketing list. Now, I know lots of people don't like to hear about this because email marketing, they automatically equate it to spam. But I know from across the industry, the businesses that put the most effort into growing mailing list are the businesses that subsequently sell the most. And the reason this is, is if you can imagine, if I ask you, Christine, what's something you're thinking about buying at the moment? Anything. I bet you have your eye on something. A tablet for my computer, like a graphics okay. tablet. So, okay, a graphics tablet is a great example. So when did you first think, you know what, I quite fancy a new graphics tablet? Probably the beginning of lockdown when we went digital and suddenly everything was, all the classes were on Zoom. March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. We're seven months into your buying journey. You haven't taken any action yet. This is really, really normal. So what you need to take account of is when somebody visits your website, you don't know if they're at the end point in their buying journey. There's a very small chance of that, actually. So what can you do to give them some value that they're willing to transact on today? And that will typically be some information of some kind. So I'm going to use the example of a, a language skills teacher again. And I'm going to say, here's a free um, sing-along training course that you can use with your kids at home, or you can use it in the class. It's yours for free. Take it, run. That's an equitable trade. You know what? I want that enough that I'm willing to give you an email address. So what that now means is that language teacher has a distinct advantage over all the others because she now has an email address. She can stay with that customer while they're on that buying journey. She can nurture them and influence them so that by the time they fall into buying mode, they fall in his or her direction instead of somebody else's direction. And when you scale that up, that's a significant driver of sales. Um, so I would put list growth probably very close to the top of my list. I would avoid all the traditional 
key performance indicators like Facebook page likes and followers because an engagement, in particular engagement, I would not look at it as a good key performance indicator because when I've done any kind of launch myself or when I've promoted any kind of product, even when you get engagement, the people that engage on your content, they tend to not be buyers. Um, almost everybody that's ever bought anything from me through social media content, they were silent. They were lurkers. They weren't engaging on any content. So when you do get engagement, it's typically the, the, tip, of the tip of the iceberg. All those other quiet people, they're actually the people that matter most. So I wouldn't use engagement or any of these genuine vanity, vanity metrics as my key performance indicators at all. If they are going to use social media, which social media platforms would you recommend they use? And have you got any hints about using social media? It kind of depends. The normal stock answer to that question would be, where are your audience? Where's your customer base? And I was speaking to a lady this morning who was, how would I describe her business? Her business at the moment, before lockdown, was she was part of a franchise selling knitting classes into schools. So she was a knitting teacher. And she was talking about Instagram and Facebook. These were the platforms that she was going to build her business around. I asked her, who is your customer? Who's actually going to be making the decision that they want to use you? Where are the kids, essentially? And the simple answer was the kids are all, were all on YouTube. They're not on Facebook because parents are really concerned about their kids spending time on Facebook. They're not on Instagram because unless you're probably 14 plus, it's not for you. You're not allowed an account. So that leaves YouTube and kids are consumers of YouTube content. So I would probably focus on YouTube, which is why for your audience, I'm typically saying video first would be the approach. Um, I would maybe follow up with though, that I would look at YouTube as my primary output, my primary channel, but never use content once, repurpose it across the other platforms because you never know who you're going to reach. I would even look at LinkedIn um, because it costs you nothing. It's just a post. So I, I think I would say anybody that's not full-time social media should really be prioritizing one over the others and YouTube would probably be the one for me. Now, there's another perspective on this. And a lot of the time people ask me, should I be doing paid ads or should I be focusing on social media or should I be blogging or should I be doing? And the easiest way I found to describe how to, how to, how to prioritize your time from a content creator's perspective is to think about it in terms of an investment portfolio. So if you sit down with a pension advisor, the first question they'll ask you is what's your appetite to risk? And what they want you to do is they want you to spread your investments through over short-term high-risk investments. They want you to have medium-term, medium-risk, and then they want you to have long-term, high-interest, low-risk um, investments. So if we take that analogy and we say, okay, for content marketing, we're going to look at a, a short-term strategy, and that's going to be around paid traffic, paid ads. Now, if that's all you do, it's unhealthy. And for a lot of people starting out, I would suggest you just don't go there for the moment because high risk investments are not 
for the amateur investment investor. Then that leaves the medium term. The medium term is really social media content. It's um, sharing articles, liking and commenting on other people's stuff. It's showing up where people are. And for a lot of people, that's where they stop. That's their sweet spot is a medium term investment because it's easy. You just open Facebook, you post something, you play on social media. It feels good. It feels like you're being productive, but you're not. Then there's the, but it's valid. It's important, but you have to take the long-term strategy into account. And this is where a lot of people fall down. They don't make the long-term investments. And that really is blog, podcast, and YouTube. And the reason they're long-term investments is because if you ask anybody who's made those investments, it felt like a complete waste of time, probably for a year or a year and a half. But then one day they hit a tipping point and it's the best thing they've ever done. Um, They pay a much higher interest rate in terms of the opportunity that comes back, the relationships that you build, but also the audience. Um, it, It scales over time in a way that nothing else can. Because if you can imagine... If I put a YouTube video up on YouTube today or I post a blog post today, it's there forever. Over time, that's going to build quite a footprint. Um, Not only that, it's giving you fuel for the the medium-term investments as well. So that's my perspective. It's not a simple answer, but I would say consider the short-term, the medium-term, and the long-term investments do not disregard the long-term investments just because they're difficult, just because they're not going to pay off in the short term or because they're, for a lot of people, downright, downright frightening. Prosperity comes way outside your comfort zone. So that's really what you need to be considering. That's very wise advice, Bob. Thank you. And I really like your idea of prioritising and the short-term and long-term investments. Can you give some advice on creating a marketing plan? And how somebody should go about that. I've struggled with this because everybody's so different. And I kind of swithered around creating a digital marketing course for a long time because I felt that everybody's situation was so different. People were in such a potentially completely different stages in their the evolution of their knowledge and their experience that it would it would just be disingenuous. It would be an opportunity to make money but without really delivering consistent value. So where I came to with that, and this isn't intended as a sales pitch at all, but what I realized was we learn best together. We learn best when we have some clear orientation around the foundations in order that you can have a shared vocabulary with people, but then supplement that with more specialist knowledge um, as and when it's needed. So I do have that. If anybody wants to know about it later on, just visit my website, which we can talk about later. Again, I'm not intending that as a sales pitch because there isn't a simple answer to your question. However, the way that I separate things out in order to have a logical framework that people can understand is business is a value exchange. Every business is essentially exactly the same. I've got something that is of value and I need to identify who it is that values that the most. And then I need to create a a line of least resistance between the two. And so where we need to begin is you need to really, really, really understand what is the value that you've got. 
And then you need to really, really, really understand who needs that the most and get granular on this. Find detail. Who is the one person who needs what you need the most? And then you need to decide where you're going to show up. And you need a content plan in order to fuel your platform because there's no point showing up on social media as a consumer. You need to be a creator. So what are you creating and who is it for? And from there, you need to have a vehicle for people to transact with you before they spent any money. And that's where this idea of the lead magnet comes in. So you're going to need this first transaction. And it's not going to be for money. It's going to be for information. You want an email address. And then the final part of my framework is what I call power bases. Who already knows you that can help? That might be your existing mailing list. It might be your peers, your colleagues. Um, you might be in Facebook groups. This is your power group. So you need to document that and catalog it in order that you can use it properly. And then you just need to pour energy into the machine and make it start working. Um, the course that I take people through for that would probably take about four hours to go through, but it's super simple and it's universal and applies to every business. Um, so it's a hard question to answer. You mentioned lead magnets. What sort of thing would you suggest that somebody gives as a lead magnet and how large should it be? Well, let's pretend for a moment that, again, I'm that language school teacher and I create a PDF that has no contents. It just has a very, very sexy cover. And the cover says everything you're going to need to, do, to deliver a language class for zero effort and you'll look amazing. Now, the language school teacher is going to go, you know what? That sounds too good to be true. I'm going to have that. and I'm going to give you the email address. But what happens then is the language teacher downloads the PDF. There's nothing in it, and they feel let down and disappointed. So you don't want that because you got the email address, brilliant, but that person now thinks you are a con man. You're never going to sell them anything. So what we need to consider is what's an equitable trade? What can I give you that gives enough, gives you enough value that you're going to think about me and go, wow, if I'm ever going to spend some money, that person now has my trust and confidence. Not necessarily more than that. So it could just be, you know what, the way I often sum it up is make a simple promise and keep a simple promise. That's really what the lead magnet boils down to. It doesn't have to be amazing, but there does have to be a clear, compelling what's in it for me, and then you deliver on that. So that could be a checklist. It could be teaching resources. It could be a little video course. It could be all kinds of things. You could be quite creative with that. And you'd simply do a Google search for lead magnet ideas and you'll find lists of different content topics that you can cover. Um, but no, you don't have to be super generous. The more generous you can be in reasonable terms without giving away everything you would pay for, the better. Um, people generally say, give away your best stuff because people will pay for information but they'll pay for implementation. Not sure how relevant that is for teachers when you're actually educating. So you need to be a little bit careful there. But yeah, does that that's answer great. your question? Thank you. And I think that's really good, good, the idea of a simple promise and just fulfilling that promise because actually if you just say it's a checklist, then all they expect is a checklist. Um, if you say yeah. it's the ultimate guide, then they expect something much, much bigger. So that's very wise. There's one other thing to supplement there is how do you actually deliver a lead magnet? And 
a lot of people are quite accustomed to seeing lead magnets on a website, on the homepage, they pop up, for example. And you might, if you go to your web developer, for example, you say, I want you to put a pop-up on my website. A lot of them will go, oh, you don't want to do that. Um, or you might actually think, oh, you know what? I don't want to do that on my website because it's a little bit spammy. Uh, statistically, they work and they work better than everything else. And that's why the productive websites use these lead magnet delivery platforms. But over and above that, I had someone on my podcast recently and her whole thing was building out sales funnels. And she said the, she, people commonly come to her and complain that their lead magnets aren't working. As she, she, she asks them then, how many times have you shared it on social media? And they say, oh, I shared it once or twice. And she told them, once you've shared it 60 times, then come back and tell me it doesn't work. Because you need to make sure that these lead magnets are very, very visible. And the nice thing with the lead magnets is if you invest in a few of these, a little portfolio of lead magnets, when you're then going around social media, you're no longer per the person that's saying, come and buy my stuff. But you're the person that's saying, here, have my free stuff. And that's a very different place to be. No, no, no. And it's also very useful because a lot of groups have a no selling type ban. But actually saying to, as an answer to a question, actually, I've got exactly what you want and it's free, is more likely to be allowed in a lot of social media yeah. groups. So that's also a useful Probably, tip. yeah. You talked about taking people yeah. through and looking at it with people because obviously you have a digital agency. What advantage is that over somebody learning it and trying to do it themselves? Well, I guess the analogy I often use is if I was to walk into a nuclear power station in the control room, it would just be a wall of buttons and dials and I wouldn't have any idea which were the important ones. Let's see what this and button does. That's how a lot of my customers feel. Yeah, or just start mashing buttons. Um, or that's a big button, that must be important. Or you know what? There are experts in the world. And there's some experts look after that panel, some look after that panel, and they're all arguing. And the, the problem a lot of people have is, and you'll you'll know this very well, that if you ask somebody whose hobby horse is search engine marketing, what should I spend my money or where should I spend my time? It'll be search engine marketing. Or if you ask a social media consultant, where should I spend my time? It's going to be social media. And if you ask a video marketing consultant, video marketing is the only thing you should do. And then there's the paid ads people. And then there's the content marketing people. And then there's the web designers who just want you to replace your website and that'll change your world. So my job is to make sure that you're spending your time in the places that are going to be effective. Um, when the way my uh, accelerator works is once you've done that foundation course and that foundation course shouldn't take very long you then have a one-to-one -one strategy session with me where we develop your strategy that's unique and distinct from that foundations um, course and then we have monthly ma uh, fortnightly master classes with experts and different things and my job is then to keep you focused to keep you on task because I have a lady who's been creating uh, she has a res a res a web oh, she's a food blogger and she's been food blogging for years and her business has just been spinning its wheels for years and she's not been making any traction and it's because she was trying to make all her money selling ads on the website no food bloggers make their money selling ads on website they need a product that they can sell um, 
So now she's working on a product she can sell. She's now spending 80% more time on her content. She's changed her pers- her um, strategy for the content because she was posting pictures of food all the time and videos of food when she needed to show up in her content a little more in order that people could buy into her. So her business is now flying. I have an 80, not 80, that's an exaggeration, she's 70, a 70-year-old former headmistress who's doing um, confidence coaches for pe- coaching for people who are changing career. And she's thriving on Facebook and LinkedIn because she's she now knows she just has a few little ninja points she needs to spend her time on. And she has permission to forget about everything else. And that's the real benefit for a lot of people is they're paralyzed by the number of things that they could do to the extent that they never actually do the couple of things that they should be doing. Building a business online is really very simple. It just comes down to what are the few things that are going to move the dial for you and then really going in deep on those and having the confidence that you're in charge now. You're no longer at the whim of all the local enterprise agency advisors that are telling you you should be doing this when actually you shouldn't be doing any of those things. So, yeah, that's the accelerator. It's the best part of my business. I love it. So what proportion of time should the average new business owner spend on marketing? I think the answer to this is the same as the answer I give to every business. It doesn't matter if they're brand new or if they've been in business for 100 years. It boils down to 20% is the simplest way to look at it. So what I encourage my clients to do is to set aside half a day a week, and that should be sufficient. But what you do with that time is really what matters. Um, What's really important is that people stop being social media consumers because spending time on social media is not digital marketing. If anybody wants my permission to not spend any time on social media, consider it granted. I think that time needs to be spent on content creation. You need to be a content creator, not a content consumer. Um, The only time I give my clients permission to spend on social media is a very finite amount of time once a day for engagement. So you can go onto social media for five minutes to 15 minutes, go and like and comment and share, do all that stuff, get it out of the way for the day. The only other time you're on social media is when somebody's engaged with your content. That's it. Um, Far too many people look at scrolling as activity. It's not. It's just consumption and it's bad for you. So if you take that sort of half a day a week and you are a content creator, your business will fly, guaranteed. If a teacher today was looking at starting the journey to an online educational business, where should they start? I would start with, and this is where I start with all my clients, and it's understanding your value, your superpower. What do you want to put into the world? Because let's just pretend making money is easy. Let's just pretend that and take that as a given. Let's look at if you could only help one person, who would that be and what would you want to do for them? Because that's where I would want people to build their business because if they do that, that then becomes the shining beacon that sort of shines through all their content. Um, I call this 
it's not my idea, it's not unique to me, but the value positioning statement. I think you've probably heard of this before, Christine. And it has three parts. And it sounds really simple, but it's really not. It's I help X, whoever that person is, to do whatever it is they want to do so that they can achieve whatever it is that person wants to achieve. And when I work with clients initially on this, they make it quite long and complicated, but they have to crystallize and crystallize and crystallize it down. And what normally happens is there comes a point where they get quite emotional because they feel suddenly very differently about their business. And that's the point at which it's done because like I said, it becomes that beacon that shines through the content and it it means your content cuts through everybody else's for that one person you shine they come they become drawn to you so that's where i like to start and that's where i would encourage anybody else to start um and i have a worksheet that people can download obviously that's one of my lead magnets but that's okay um i'm in business too so if anybody wants that value positioning statement worksheet, I'll give you a link to that, Christine, and you can put it in the show notes. But seriously, it's so hard to overestimate how powerful that can be. Um, it's ridiculously useful. It's Now it's my bio on all my social media feeds. And my 70-year-old um, confidence coach, she told me that she used hers in a networking event and it was an online networking event and they all have to introduce themselves and the host of the networking event came to her afterwards and said how did you do that because she'd used her value positioning statement to introduce herself and she'd never seen anybody introduce themselves with such power and such brevity before three sentences she blew everyone away absolutely great. So great that's where i would start and you've given so so many value bombs absolutely amazing things that people can take away and actually apply but any final words of wisdom action trumps everything and the other way of saying that is done will always be better than perfect perfectionism is probably the one of the things that paralyzes people the most especially i think a lot of people are quite proud of their aesthetic sense i know the difference between what looks good and what looks bad and i that will cripple you you just have to accept that putting out something that's imperfect is just how it's going to be. It's always going to be that way. Um, to labor the point, I was listening to the radio yesterday and there was one of the one of the, the musicians from Blur was on a documentary. And I was blown away because he was admitting that he'd never actually listened to a Blur album because all he could see by the time it was public was the imperfections and the problems with it. So if if that's how he feels about a great work of musical history, what chance have we got? We just have to accept that it's got to be done. It's got to be out. That's the that's the job. Done beats perfect every day. So. Absolutely true. Action. Mm. Nothing will happen without action. Really wise advice. Just do it. Bob has his own podcast, The Digital Marketing Entrepreneur Show. Bob, links to your businesses and podcasts will be in the show notes. Now, I know Bob said to be creators of content, not consumers, but I'm sure watching The Digital Marketing Entrepreneur Show and subscribing to that will actually be well-spent time in actually learning about how to market your own business. Would you like to share the best place for my audience to find you? 
Um, I'm going to say my website, it's amplifyme.agency, and you'll find the podcast in there too. Um, everything's everything's there. If you want to connect with me on social media, it's at Bob Gentle on all the social media Excellent. platforms. You can't miss me. Excellent. Seth Godin has said, build it and they will come. Only works in the movies. Bob has given us some of the tools we can use to start building, not just our businesses, but an awareness of it. Marketing may not be easy, but it is possible, and you and I can both do it. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. We'd love to connect with you at te.media.